Welcome to Heaven Sent and Bent on TalkZone.com, a place to talk about the experiences that we call life. We'll share the sorrow and the joy that makes this earthy existence real and makes us who we are. Now, here's your host, Renee Steelman. Hello, hello everyone. Thank you so much for joining me today on Heaven Sent and Bent. I am Renee Steelman. I am your host today. And I have as my guest a good friend of mine. I'm going to tell you a little bit about her story and just remind you that I hope that I am finding all of you today positive, productive, and prayerful. I hope that today you're not experiencing any kind of trial or tribulation that seems overwhelming, that you have the strength to endure whatever it is you're going through, and just remember that you're not alone, that um, life is filled with all kinds of tribulations, and sometimes I think we can feel as though those uh, trials and things that, you know, mountains that we have to climb, sometimes I think we feel as though they're they're, you know, directly aimed at us from a higher power, and I don't know if that's true or not, but they can certainly seem very overwhelming. And um, I thought today I, I wanted to share a quote with you today that I that I really like. It's an, another quote from Albert Einstein. He has a lot of wonderful, obviously, um, learning things to teach us. Uh, and this particular quote is that there are only two ways to love to live your life. One is as though nothing is a miracle. The other is as though everything is a miracle. And I think that's a wonderful way to go through life, to look at the smallest things and uh, recognize them as being a miracle so that when something truly does miraculous happen in your life, you're, you're ready and primed to accept that too. So let me tell you a little bit about what I know about Becky. Uh, and then I'll let her correct me probably and fill in the blanks. Um, I actually knew Becky's parents before I knew her. And it's kind of funny as a, a 21, 22 year old, um, my husband and I returned from, uh, I was, um, serving in the U.S. Navy and we were stationed in Japan and we returned to the United States and we moved to Portland, Oregon. And Becky's father, was serving in the um, what what would be considered the ministry uh, of the church that we were attending, and at the time, as as a 21, 22 year old, uh, I'll have to ask Becky how old her parents are, but I just thought they were just old people because you know they had a house and they had kids and they had furniture and you know and we you know and we were just you know coming back from being in the military and <clears throat> renting an apartment and I was pregnant with my first child and so they just seemed like old married people to me and they're probably like eight years older than I am I don't know I'll have to check with her but her parents. Um, for some odd reason, they really made an impact in my husband's in my life. And, you know, we have lived in various places around Oregon and Washington for the last, you know, 40 years that we've been married. And I couldn't tell you who, you know, some of the names of people that we had gone to church with and all of the different congregations that we've belonged to. But for some reason, her parents have always popped in and out of our lives. And they really made, they really touched our lives. And so we were living in a suburb of Portland, and um, some new people moved in next door. And then uh, while we were kind of uh, watching these new people move in next door, um, we 
were outside and this car pulled up and all of a sudden these friends of ours from, you know, 35 years ago, um, and I'm like, what are you guys doing here? And they're like, well, our daughter just moved in next door to you. And I was like, what a weird small world. So anyway, that's how I got to know Becky. So Becky, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So Becky, how old, uh, how old are your parents? They'll kill, you'll kill you for t- saying this. <laughs> Let's yes. start out with a bang, huh? Uh, yeah. my parents, my dad just turned 75 and I believe my mom is 72. Okay, yeah. So, you're, you're, yeah. so your mom's only about 10, 11 years older than I am. So, you know, when you're 22 and somebody's 32 and they've oh, got yeah. kids and a sofa, you know, <laughs> two, two chairs that match, you're like, oh, you guys are just old married people, you know. <laughs> I know, I know. So yeah, funny. they're great people. So I've invited Becky to come on the show today because she is one of these people that has um, a permanent smile. Now, hey, I don't live within your four walls, so we all know that we're not perfect and we all have our good days and our bad days. But from what I know of Becky, she has a, a permanent smile and a very positive outlook. So share with our listeners um, you, a little bit about your story. You were 16, I think, if I remember right. How old were you when you first started uh, becoming ill? Okay. Um, I was 16. I was in my junior year of high school. And my life at that time was pretty good, you know. I was starting to get my freedom and um, spending time with my friends. And as far as I was concerned, life was pretty good. And um, I played basketball in high school. And I remember trying out for the varsity team. That was a big deal on your junior year. And I did my best and came home that night and I was in the most pain I'd ever been in and couldn't sleep and my leg was just throbbing and killing me and so the next day we my parents took me to see an orthopedic doctor and they took x-rays of my legs and immediately put the x-rays up on the wall on the light wall and um, it was very evident that there was something really, really wrong with my leg, my left leg. And um, so anyways, they uh, took immediately sent us over to OHSU in Dornbecker and um, got us in touch with the doctor there. And basically, they told me I had a very rare form of bone cancer called osteosarcoma. And it's a very hard cancer to fight. Um, they told us that I would have a 10% chance of living and that I would most likely lose, lose my leg, that they would have to amputate it. And for a 16-year-old girl, my gosh. I, I skipped right over the fact that they said I would have a 10% chance of living, and I mm-hmm. only was thinking about losing my leg, and I thought, that's how I can lose my leg. That's you know, that, that's what's yeah. sticking in my mind. And I know that my dad walked out of the room with the doctor after he told us that. And he said, look, my daughter's really, <clears throat> excuse me, my daughter's <clears throat> really scared about losing her leg. And the doctor looked at my dad and said, I'm almost positive she has it all over in her body that, um, we're not really worried about her leg. She will die. 
And um, um, so that was a very hard thing to hear um, for both my parents and myself. Um, right. So that was and the beginning of the trials. Where, and where do you fall in the family? You have, um, there are five children in your family, is that correct? Or? Yes, but there's five of us and I am the baby. So. Oh my goodness, okay. Yeah. So all so, the and I went, go ahead. No, I was going to, go ahead, yeah. Well, I was going to say, um, <clears throat> all of a sudden I went from being the 16-year-old girl who was starting to feel like I had a little bit of independence and um, and I immediately became dependent again on my parents and kind of had to be like a little baby and they had to take care of me. And right. um, so kind of a switch so in my life. You probably, you probably didn't leave the hospital then that day. Did you, did they immediately admit you? Um, I think, no, I went home. I believe I went home. And then I think the next day I came back and they had, a, had a biopsy and, um, they confirmed that, yes, it was indeed cancer. And then I had a CAT scan, a full-body CAT scan. And remember, they said that this tumor was probably six to eight inches long in my bone. And it had been growing in there for a very long time. And they said that it would be most likely all over my body, which it normally does go throughout your whole body and in your lungs. And so the next day I had a CAT scan and they um, couldn't believe it. I mean, it was, talk about miracles. It it was not anywhere in my body, but in my wow. body, which was really unheard of. They were all very um, taken back by that. So right. um, I ended up doing chemotherapy for... Four months, and then I had a limb salvage surgery where they basically took out most of my femur bone and my knee and um, replaced it with metal rod and uh, plastic and all kinds of things. So most of my leg is reconstructed inside. And um, so they did that, and then I had six more months of chemo. And... Um, they told me I could only walk with this new leg of mine, which was fine Mm -hmm. for me. Right. Um, I was very grateful to just have my leg. Um, But really, they put this limb salvage and this prosthetic leg in me just until it got me to the point where I would die, which they really thought maybe a couple years. I mean, they were not expecting me to live. And so I was greatly blessed, and um, that was a huge miracle in my life. Yeah. So even though even though they didn't find the cancer um, throughout the rest of your body, and they were able to actually remove the bone, they still only gave you a couple of years to live. That's, that's... They ha- yeah. They had no idea. Again, most of the kids who get this kind of cancer. And I saw it, I've seen it in my life. Most of them, um, unfortunately, die, and it's just a hard cancer to treat. Although, you know, even though they told us those numbers, we tried to remember those are just numbers. And, um, you know, I, for some reason, have stayed alive, and I'm (laughs) tremendously grateful for that because, 
they didn't really know. They didn't know, okay. and they didn't know if I would be able to have children, and they didn't know, um, there, you know, there were a lot of side effects. And right. But I'm still well, here. <laughs> you are. Well, let's take a break, Becky, and I want to come back and talk more about this because I can't imagine as a, as a 16-year-old, like you say, a junior in high school, um, and you're talking about chemotherapy for an entire year, uh, you have a lot more to tell us. So let's take a little break and we'll be back. Welcome back to Heaven Sent and Bent on TalkZone.com. Here's Renee Steelman. Thank you for joining me today. I am Renee Steelman, the host of Heaven Sent and Bent. And you know, the, the name of the program, sometimes we receive challenges in our life and, you know, we either recognize them immediately as a blessing or as a gift. And then, but other times it takes a while for us. We might have to go through some things before we can look back on a challenge and realize that it was a gift or that we lived through it. Hence the name Heaven Sent and Bent. And I certainly do believe that Becky's story um, falls into that category somehow. She was diagnosed at the age of 16 with a rare form of bone cancer and was only given a 10% chance of, of living. And here she is today telling us her story. So, Becky, let's continue. Um, I can't imagine at the age of 16, where did your schooling, did, did you just have to stop school for that entire year? Well, that was really important to me that I didn't stop. Um, so they ended up um, doing, I got tutored at home for that year. Oh, okay. So lucky to have that. So. Right, right. But you lost out on the social part of, like you say, trying out for the varsity basketball team. And, yeah. and was, was that then just the completion of your junior year? Or then did, did you get to go back to school and complete your senior year? Or did it fall into that as well? No, I was able to go back my senior year and um, do normal schooling that time. But you're right. I mean, my life, I had to grow up at the age of 16. And right. um, I no longer worried about what my hair looked like I didn't have hair at that point but I didn't I didn't nothing none of those things mattered to me anymore I just all those simple things in life um and the people in my life are what mattered and so I had to grow up really fast right it wasn't a bad thing I you know I mean, at the age of 16, most girls are thinking, oh, I finally, I'm at the age I can start dating, and who's that cute guy over there? And mm-hmm. you're just thinking about, you know, that you need to survive. What, was it painful? I mean, I can't imagine this, having all of that surgery on your leg that it has, has had to have been painful. Oh, yeah, it was, it was very painful, and I had to learn how to walk again uh, with yeah. this new leg of mine. Um, but, you know, honestly, when you're young, that like that you really just you push to be normal and I just it was very hard and it was very hard on my parents I can't imagine now that I'm a mother that um, having that happen to one of my kids so yeah you know I, I it was it did change my life but honestly it did change and made my life um the perspective better 
Exactly. So after they did, uh, you know, I, it's so funny because I knew you for quite a while before I, for I, I, before I heard your story. And I would have never guessed that you had, I mean, you don't have a limp. You don't have, I would have never guessed that you had any kind of ambulatory issues at all, you know. Um, so that's amazing. But, um, obviously, like you said, you had to completely learn how to walk again. And that had to, that had to come in stages. So when you went back to school, as a senior in high school, were you were you pretty free of any kind of equipment, or did you have to use a cane or or anything no. like that? Okay. I amazingly, I was able to walk, and I didn't have a limp, and I just I fought, I just fought really hard to get back to normal. And even though that's all I could do was walk, I right. I could do it without anybody knowing. And you know, they really thought maybe again they thought I would most likely just die and they wouldn't worry about how long my leg lasted but my they thought maybe five years my leg would last and um and it ended up lasting 22 years you know without without any without any other intervention for, mm-hmm. for the next mm-hmm. that's amazing that's amazing yeah now i know that your uh your faith played a huge part in that and um so tell us you know share with us what you can about some, um, you know, kind of stories, what you see as a miracle that happened besides the fact that you're still here. That's a huge miracle. But what are some stories where your, that your faith really got you through what you had to go through? Well, I mean, I, I, I can't share that cancer story without sharing my second cancer story. And I'm not sure if that's what you want to talk about now, but my, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. okay. I had, um, so I had this first cancer and I was able to have my leg for over 20 years, which was a miracle and got married and was able to go to college and found the love of my life. And, um, it, my life, um, it was a new life for me. And I remember as a newly married person, I wanted to be a mother again. I didn't really know if I was going to live or not. And, couple of years after the first cancer, I became a mother and um, with my husband, and it was a joy because they didn't know if I was going to be able to have kids even. Mm-hmm. And so that was another blessing that we were given. And um, so everything was doing fine in my life until 2012. Um, I had to, my leg started to hurt and I was having problems and I went to the doctor again and he said, we need to redo your leg and have surgery again. And so we um, braced ourselves and got ready for a, a hard time in our life. And now let me, let me just interrupt you for, for just a second. Okay. Did they, did they think that the pain was just being caused because the leg was old and, and, you know, it would just, it was something that they just needed to replace and maybe, you know, that you had had it for 20 years and it's just time for a, you know, an oil change. Was, was that their initial thought? Yes. They, okay. it, they, we were all surprised that it even lasted that long. And so it was okay. time to go back in and, and put a new one in and they end up taking pretty much all of my femur bone except for a couple of inches, and um, they reconstructed it again. And that's an absolute miracle that they, the technology to be able to create another leg 
with just two inches or three inches of my femur left. And so I'm, again, walking with um, a brand new leg. And, um, you know, I really thought that at this point in time in my life, if I lived this long, I would have an amputated leg. Mm-hmm. And um, But I don't. And they were able to save my leg again. And I remember before my surgery, um, I had heard a friend tell somebody else that was going through something that was hard. She said, you know, sometimes you just have to do hard things. And I remember thinking, you know what? Sometimes we just have to do hard things. And my sister, before I had my surgery, sent me a quote on a pretty plaque that said, I I can do hard things. (laughs) And I thought, wow, okay, I guess I always was telling my other sisters and other people, you know, sometimes we just have to do hard things. Well, now it was my turn to do hard things. And um, so after the leg surgery and a couple complications that I had with it, um, I had a night where I had some really hard um, complications where I wasn't sleeping and I couldn't, something wasn't right and I didn't know what it was. I was having trouble breathing. I was having, I just knew something wasn't right with me. And I told my husband, I said, I'm not okay. I need to go to the ER. Something is not right. And he, he's a doctor and he looked at me yeah. and he's like, what, what do you mean? You're, you're walking, you're fine. Yeah. You're probably just anxious. And I said, I don't know what it is, but, um, something's not right with me. And so I, we went to the ER and, they thought maybe I'd have a blood clot, and mm. they found that instead of telling me that I had a blood clot, they came in and told me that I have a pretty large tumor in my abdomen. And wow. you have to understand, this having cancer and, and conquering it the first time was a huge thing for me, and my right. worst fear in life was to have cancer again. Right. I thought, if you, if I made it once, how can I fight it again? You know, what are my chances right. of living again? And so anyways, they told me that I had, um, they did a biopsy and took it out and found out it was liposarcoma, which is nothing to do with my first cancer. Okay. Wow. Yeah. So, um, Anyhow, I was conquered. I wasn't conquered. I was um, given and faced with my biggest fear was having cancer again. So this time I was a mom of four kids, and I have a husband, and this time cancer was so different. Right. It wasn't so much even about you anymore, your wish to live or your wish to go on. Now you've got three boys and a little girl, and you're probably looking at that little girl, and you're thinking, I need to be here for all of the life milestones that she's got coming up, and your boys are, you know, getting older and graduating from high school. And so now it's, it's not about your desire to live so that you can live your dreams. It's you've got to be here for all of the other people in your life. Yeah. I, my, didn't want my kids not to have a mom, right. and that was very hard for me. Um, it, you're right; it wasn't about me anymore, and I just wanted to be their mom and let you know be there for them. And right. it was a very and hard what, time. So, did they do surgery then and to, to re, again remove the tumor? 
They did. They removed the tumor, found out indeed that it was liposarcoma, and then a month later I went back to do a checkup, and um, oddly enough, the chemotherapy that they would have given me for this cancer I already had with my first cancer, and you can only have a certain amount in your lifetime, so I couldn't have the chemo that they wanted to give me because I'd already had my lifetime amount of it. So the only thing they could do for me was do radical surgery. And oh. a m- month after they took the tumor out, they found, they. I went to a doctor and they said, you know what, we think the tumor is going to come back. If not, we think he didn't get it all. And I was just crushed. And I, it was the worst news for me. And um, so anyhow, they had to go back in and completely take out the rest of the tumor, they took my kidney, my spleen, part of my pancreas, part of my colon. What else? What else is in there? No, <laughs> um, not much. Not much left. Gland. No. Yeah, they pretty much scraped me like a pumpkin. And um, so they were able to get it all. And um, they have clean margins. And they were able to take it out. And that's the only thing I could do was surgery. Right. And so no radiation. With both cancers so far, radiation has not been a part of the treatment. Um, They could have given me radiation for this one, but Uh uh, we had to make a decision if that was right or not. And uh, because the abdomen is so... If they would have done radiation on my abdomen, it would have made things kind of murky in there so that if it ever comes back, it would be hard to get a definite edge, you know, like um, yeah. it would just make everything cloudy in there. And so they, one doctor advised us not to, and we decided that we weren't going to do that. We were just right. happy with the radical surgery. Wow. And, you know, the the thing that's so kind of a catch-22 on all of this is, you know, your gut, your stomach has so much to do with your immune your immune system. And, and now, like you say, you're, you're part of your colon and, you know, and you, you don't want to do radiation and you've, you've filled your quota of poison that you can have for your lifetime. Right. So that would be very, a very helpless feeling. That's, and that was 2012, so that's only been a couple of years ago. Uh-huh. Wow. And uh, and so and now you go in. How often do you go in for checkups? Um, About every six months I go in. I'm due to go in pretty soon in the next month or two. Um, So, so far I've had clean scans and, you know, it's I live basically from scan to scan. um, And those are hard days when I go in and the anxiety comes and all of that. Um, right. But, you know, I am doing things today that two years ago, three years ago, I did not think I was going to be doing. Right. And at that time, all I wanted to do was be a mother, and I would be gladly stand and do laundry, take care of the house. I, The littlest things became mm-hmm. such big things. And I can tell you right now, I'm doing those things, and it feels really good. So that's a really good point that you said. Just as the, the quote that I gave this morning about, you know, looking at your life as though everything is a miracle. Like you say, sitting and and folding laundry 
which is so mundane and so just constant, you know. Um, but for you, you're, you're, you're looking at it now like, look, I get to be here today. I get to serve my family. Uh, I get to take care of, you know, things by folding their laundry. Yeah. How, how grateful you are for things like that. What are some other things? I mean, you've had, um, talk about your, your son. Now, your oldest son was, uh, graduated from high school, correct? And was getting ready to serve a mission, uh, and had a little bit of a scare himself. Was it your oldest son or, or the next little guy? I can't remember. It was my oldest son. Yes. Yeah. Um, we, within a two year span, had unbelievable things happen. Um, and, Yes, he about two weeks before he graduated from high school, he um, was at work and he works with my sister. And she called me and said, "You need to get here right away. He is not something's not right with your son." And so I went right away and I went there and I found him and he was disoriented. He couldn't really walk. Um, he was slurring. He it was just the oddest thing and anyhow come to find out he had a stroke my 18 year old boy had a stroke was strong having... athletic healthy yeah you know never any indication of any kind of um issues no and it was just out of the blue and um you know you don't expect an 18 year old to have a stroke and so even when they're having those symptoms you just want to tell your mind that he's okay there's you know he just must be i don't know i mean you just don't want to believe go there that he's having a stroke so it took us a while and again i went with my gut like this is not right he's not okay and i took him to the ER and sure enough he was having a stroke and um he ended up they end up finding um uh he had a hole in his heart that we never knew about and um that's what caused the stroke was and so a week later he had heart surgery and they put a patch in his heart and later that week he graduated and walked to get his diploma it was it that's was a wild crazy. ride but Thank heavens for now. When you were in college, did you say to yourself, "Now it seems to me that the best thing for me would be an orthopedic surgeon"? So when I'm looking for my spouse, I think I'm going to go visit the orthopedic uh, study lounge. You know, I honestly told myself I would not marry a doctor because they have this smell about them, about a hospital smell. They smell like hospitals, and that soap they use. Oh, it was awful, and so I did tell myself that I it would just be too much if I married a doctor, and then I, of course, I did. So, <laughs> but now see, though, he wasn't a doctor when you first met him, right? I mean, you had to go through no. medical school, so there you go. Right, right. you know, right, so, right. he didn't quite have that formaldehyde smell <laughs> soap thing going on yet. Yeah, <laughs> that's hilarious. He washes his hands really good when he gets home. So. Oh, that is hilarious. That's so funny because, you know, the total opposite, okay? My husband, when we first got married, he was working out in the shop. 
And he was working, you know, on heavy equipment, cranes and, and trucks and all of this kind of stuff. And he would come home and his boots, you know, everything was just oil. Everything just smelled like oil, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's so funny because you're like, could you just work at a donut factory? Because that would be really great if you could just <laughs> come home smelling like donuts. Yeah. So, oh, my heavens. So, uh, wow. So now does, does, is, is he, does he have to watch or, or does this patch make it so that he can just live a normal life and he doesn't have to think about it anymore? Well, six months after his surgery, they looked at his heart and his body has already built and, um, oh, what do you say? Kind of covered, like, yeah, yeah grown. It's, it's grown over the patch and so he should be fine and, I don't think he should have any lasting effects from it. I mean, we're, it was a horrible thing that was happening, but in the end, yeah. it we were we found this hole in his heart that, yeah. you know, probably yeah. ten years from now he would have maybe had some serious problems. Um, mm-hmm. So he's doing he's doing fine. He's doing great. Or even if he would have, you know, if if he wouldn't have had that happen, and he would have, uh, let's say, gotten a, a a call to serve a mission in Honduras. Or something, you know, and wouldn't have been, you know, as close to immediate medical attention as he was right. at that time, you know. So, so many things that you can look at that way. Okay. Um, now, has anybody, ha- has, has there been other illnesses in other members of your family or do you, are you just the blessed one that just gets everything? <laughs> well, one more thing happened during that two year span that was really interesting. Now, for, I had five major surgeries in nine months and after that time, I was just starting to recover, and my husband um, started having um, appendicitis, and so he had to have a appendectomy surgery. And we, as he was being wheeled away, um, we honestly high-fived each other and said, we've got this. this is <laughs> um, you know, it was, we just felt like, you know what, compared to what we've gone through, this is okay. Well, yeah. Appendicitis? His, yeah, whatever. Yeah, his 45-minute surgery lasted about three hours <gasps> and it turned in out to be um, a very scary time he almost bled to death on the surgery table and um, he the uh, surgeon hit a artery and um, they couldn't stop him from bleeding and so oh, gosh. he spent the next three days in the ICU and what's interesting about that is that I thought I was going to lose him Mm-hmm. And I all of a sudden was sitting in the spot that my husband always sat in, ah. watching, you know, and it was an interesting time for us because he and I both came full circle. He, I understood and got a taste of what he had experienced and he had a taste of what I experienced. He all of a sudden understood pain and um, long recovery and the fear of dying and so it was a it was a turn. A full, we came full circle and mm-hmm. understood each other so much Isn't, better. Now I w- yeah. Go ahead. Oh, I was gonna say I wouldn't ever want that and ask right. for that. But I I did try to look at it as you know something that was really hard for us was understanding the other person's. Right, because you could see with your with your because um, he's a strong, healthy guy too, and I I could see where. With everything that you had gone through, you know, there had to be times when 
you know, he would say, oh, you're fine or whatever. And your, you know, your first instinct is like, really? You have no idea. You have no idea what I'm going through. And so in a way, like you say, it was an, an opportunity. I, w- I don't know if it's, if we call it a blessing. I, sometimes I think that word is so overused, but yeah. it is, it was an opportunity for you to, be in that other person's shoes. And I, I do think that is the plan for all, you know, with, you know, we, we could all not go through what everybody has gone through, but going through enough, even if it's something as simple as, um, having a child that isn't following the path that you hope that they would, you know, you mm-hmm. know, follow or anything as simple as that. So the one, a, a new mother comes to you and says, wow, I thought we had it all together. And now my, you know, my daughter's getting into all kinds of trouble and she was such a great child. And, you know, if you've experienced that, then you can empathize with that person and you can understand that person. And then you can comfort that person because you can say, I know what you're going through. Um, yeah, it's hard. It, it's really hard. And it, it's sure sometimes it kind of, hits you, you, you know, you had no idea where it was coming from. So there is a reason for sure that we, we all, you know, do go through things like that. Boy, you, you guys don't look back on certain times and go, well, that was a great time. You kind of want to move on. Let's just move on. Yeah, we, that was really hard couple of years for us. Um, well, now tell like, me because because you've been doing this since you were 16 years old, and you've probably had a lot of opportunity to sit around with your parents and get their perspective of what it was like as parents, you know, of a young girl, and and then you as a parent, um, you know. And I talked I talk a lot about this where people have the I honestly don't think that people say things to people you know, intentionally to hurt their feelings or it's always done with the best intentions or, or they, maybe they think they're sharing information that will be helpful for you, but you almost have to have a great sense of humor when you're going through times like this. What, what's an example of something that someone said to you where you kind of had to like pick up your jaw and swallow a little bit and go, okay. I know mm-hmm. you meant that to be good, but that yeah. was really inappropriate. What would be an example? And I think we can learn from all of this. Yeah, there were a few times when that did happen. One example is um, towards the end of my couple of years, I occasionally would have fear come into me and I would get this anxiety like, wait a minute, just because I made it through that, I don't know if I'm going to live I'll be alive in two months, and I would get have these moments of where I'd just get fearful. And I remember texting a friend and saying, are you home? I'm having a really hard time today. Um, I'd love to talk, and just things are just really hard right now. And she texts me back and says, have you had your hormones checked lately? Your hormones might, hormones might be off. <laughs> and I... I, yes, that my mouth and my jaw dropped, and I could not believe that given what I had gone through, that if I was reaching out to somebody, and honestly, I just needed someone to listen. There was nothing anybody could do. Nobody can take away that fear, but just listen, mm-hmm. and I couldn't believe <laughs> that it was just people forget, and they don't realize I don't know. That was just a draw dropper for me. Well, and I think because we live in such a social media type world and there's so much advertising on television that I, I do think, you know, in the, in, in, you know, 20, 30 years ago, probably even more like that, more like 40 years ago, we didn't have 
you know, the general population didn't have as much information. Now we can all Google our own illnesses and pretty much cure ourselves, right? But, you know, 40 years ago, we all had to uh, go on people who had authority to do that kind of stuff. So when someone said they were ill, you didn't have the knowledge to say, do you think your hormones are off or have you checked for, uh, you know, whether you're bipolar? You know, you might want to look mm-hmm. into that, you know, or mm-hmm. how's your thyroid doing today? You know, right. people didn't talk like that. You know, they, they had to just say, I'm so sorry. I wonder what could be going on or, or of course you're having a bad day. Tell me about it or right. something like that. Um, sometimes too much information is, is not good. And which is what you should do. You, you probably, you should never fix it, right? We go, we go to our husbands and they want to fix the problem, right? Well, uh, we we can't fix things. It's best to just listen and and say I'm sorry. Let's talk and mm-hmm. and give give the person a hug and and just know that let them know that you're there for them. Um, one thing that we did learn from all of this is that there are a lot of good people out in the world, mm-hmm. and we people that didn't have money and that could have used the money for their own family were bringing us meals and doing things and repeatedly bringing us meals. And I, one thing that we just learned was that there were so many good people. There are so many good people out there in the world. And one girl, one friend of mine that didn't know me very well, when I would could go to church, she didn't know probably what to do for me. You know, you look at the person who's going through something hard and you go, what can I do for them? Mm-hmm. And she decided that she was going to come up and give me a hug after church. Every time she saw me, she would come up and just give me this long hug. And it came, it just became a, a thing we did. And I looked uh. for her after church and she just came and did that for me. Now, that didn't cost anything. Right. It didn't take a whole lot of her time. But she did something, and that's something that I have learned with my trials is that it's always better to do something than to do nothing. So if you're looking at somebody who's going through something that's hard and you don't know what to do, I always say do something. Don't don't take the the path to just go, well, they're probably fine. They're probably mm-hmm. okay. I just... You can't fix anything for anybody, but doing something tells that person that you care and that you're there for them. And that's how that's we were a, able to get through those two years. That's a really good point because I, I really do struggle with that. You know, having seen, um, like when my, when my daughter lost her husband and people were bringing in food and I saw food go to waste because, mm-hmm. you know, you can only eat so much, even if you have like, you know, her father-in-law obviously had flown up and we were up there and my daughter flew in. And so there were family that were, that were all up there. And yes, we all needed to eat. Um, and so people were bringing in food and it started to accumulate in the, in the refrigerator and pretty soon food was just getting thrown out, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, from from that learning experience, and I and then it was so funny because uh, her father in law had lost his wife, 
and he said the same thing. He's not even a, a, a member of um, of our church, uh, but he said, you know, people were bringing me food, and I I couldn't eat. A lot of times they, they don't even feel like eating, you know, and mm-hmm. so it just got thrown away. And so I remembered that, and so now when I you know when I hear people say, oh, so and so's just had a baby, or so and so sick, we're going to bring them a meal. My first reaction is, oh, maybe they don't need that. Maybe they need something else. Um, I don't know if I want to, you know, and so you, you kind of get frozen because you don't know what to do. You think, well, I don't want to do that. Uh, well, maybe I should do that. Well, they might not want that. And so you end up doing nothing. Right. And, and that's, and that's just, that's me. Now, someone else probably would go, oh yeah, we did end up throwing some of it away, but it was so appreciated or whatever, you know, but I'm, I'm always looking for what makes the most sense and, you know, that well, kind of thing. So sometimes I think too hard, but yeah, but that's a really good point is, is do something. And, and even if it is, uh, the 50th batch of brownies, the thought that you thought to take over brownies, you might be the recipe that they love the most. Who knows? You know, well, I have to say, you know, there were times that I, I was like, God, where, where are you? Like, uh-huh. I, yeah. there were some really dark, dark times and, but it was, he was there through other people. And it, a day didn't go by that there wasn't something that somebody did. Now, meals are important, and that that was huge to us, mm-hmm. obviously. Um, but there's also other things you can do. Um, if, if, pick out what's your thing to do. If, if mm-hmm. you are somebody that grabs a, a, tulip mm-hmm. um, bunch and mm-hmm. can bring it by to somebody or if you're the person that is the one that gives the hugs or you're I had a good dear friend of mine she was my daughter's second mom for those two years mm-hmm. she decided that what she was going to do was be take care of my daughter mm-hmm. and that was huge to me um, right so different people played different roles there, mm-hmm. there was the people that were always there at the at the hospital with me. That mm-hmm. I'd wake up and there were the same people that would always be there, and I will never forget that. So they were there holding my hand, but there mm-hmm. were also people taking care of my kids and bringing the meals. And then there's my friend who grabbed me after church and would give me a hug. All mm-hmm. of those things mattered to me. So when mm-hmm. I say, when you're wondering what to do. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be a meal. It doesn't. It can just be a card. It can just be something. Mm-hmm. But just always remember it's to just do something. And I, I think that that is the message that, you know, here I, I'm just learning this message myself. You'd think that at my age I would have learned this a lot younger. But when people question that, when people ask that, where is God? If there really was a God, how could he allow these things to happen? And, and then when you talk to them about, um, uh, you know, it, just the revelation that God is, when we say, where is God? What we're really saying is, why doesn't someone take this away? Why doesn't someone make this pain go away? And if there truly was a God, this pain would go away. And, but in reality, God is there. But like you say, God is in the friend that brought over the flowers or the friend that drove your daughter to places that she needed to be at. And God, so God is saying, I'm here. Uh, I am here in, you know, Mary who did this or Kathy who did this or Debbie that did this. That's mm-hmm. where I'm at. And and that's, I think, where the confusion comes in because 
if you are, it depends on what your personality is. You know, my, my I know my daughters and I talk about this. We're kind of private people. So mm-hmm. I remember when my son was born, my sister-in-law said, I'm going to come up and see you at the hospital. And I was like, I don't want anybody up here. I, I, I just mm-hmm. want to be by myself. Just leave me alone. I don't want anybody to come up. And she came up anyway, you know. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking, oh, great. Now I have to sit and talk to you. And I just want to cry. Leave me alone, you know. Um, but now I look back on that and I think, you know what? That was probably exactly what I needed was for someone to come up and talk to me whether I thought I wanted to talk to somebody or not, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So that's really that. I really am so glad you brought that out. That God is there, but He's there through other people, and and there that's where the answers to our questions lie. And like you say, even something as simple as I know the a little card. As, as much as I appreciate it, and sometimes I have actually like bought a package of little cards and put them in my purse, so determined that I was going to write someone a little note every single day. And doggone if those things don't stay in my purse, you know, <laughs> so frustrating. It's like I had the best intentions, I'm telling you, you know. I know, I know. But, yeah. I have to say also that now I watched for two years people serve us. Mm-hmm. and be God's hands. And um, I couldn't wait to have enough energy and health to be able to do it back. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the things that I've learned from my trials is, like, there's a good friend of mine who's going through cancer right now. And for me to be able to walk in. Maybe I'm not the one who's bringing meals, but I'm the one who walks in and sit, and I can look at her and go, I know exactly what you're going through, and I understand. And to me, it, it when she looks at me and I look at her and she knows that I do understand, um, I've taken my experience with cancer, and trust me, I don't like what I went through, it still haunts me here and there, wow. and I get scared, yeah. and I have anxiety and all that. But I now I'm in a place where I can look at somebody else who's going through it and say, I understand. And that's something that any of us that go through whatever we're going through in our life, whether it be a divorce or health issue or whatever, you can then take your trial and turn around and help somebody else. And that's amazing. And that is, um, that really that... is, that really is the plan. I mean, the plan is not to have all trials and tribulations leave the earth. The plan is for us to learn and then to learn to love one another through those trials mm-hmm. and to serve one another through those trials. I, you know, it, it's certainly, you know, when they say that love is the greatest commandment, and when you start looking at commandments from the, um, you know, even the commandment to serve, um, sometimes that can be, you know, that can be overwhelming where you think, oh, my gosh, leave me alone. I, you know, but when you take that commandment to serve and then you say, but if you go back to the first commandment, which was to love, then that second commandment, which is to serve, takes on a whole new meaning. Um, right. and, and I, again, I don't know why you have to be, you know, you have to turn 60 to have epiphanies, but for some reason, these things are just now hitting me in my, in my older age, you know, but, um, 
I remember someone explaining that to me that that instead of looking at it as an assignment or a commandment or something else you have to do, if you just turned it around and somehow looked for how you were loving someone through that, that changes everything, yeah. you know. And uh, what a what a great example that you like you say that you've taken now. I would guess, knowing you, that does someone, does your husband or someone have to say, you've done enough? It's okay for you not to do anything today? Have you found where you have, you've had to check yourself and say, I think I've served enough this week. It's okay that I sit in the backyard for a little bit today? <laughs> um, I definitely have learned to balance things because I don't have enough energy to do everything I wanted to do anyways. Yeah, um, yeah. I have to, I have had to learn and I'm figuring that out at this point in time in my life that I can't do everything. Right. Um, but I try to do something every day. Um, and again, if it can be a small thing, it can take 10 minutes, but um, I have learned to say no and I've learned to do, I, I try to listen to any promptings I get to help mm-hmm. that person or help this person. And sometimes, some days, I the best thing I can do is not do anything so that I have my energy for my family when they get home. Perfect. And that's something I've had to learn that, again, I go back to when I was in bed for two years and I couldn't do anything. All I wanted to do was take care of my family. And mm-hmm. I so sometimes my day consists of, um, making sure that I'm well enough to put my energy into them when they get home. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, you know, as we're, we've only got a few minutes left, so I just want to close up. Have you changed anything in your life um, besides, uh, you know, like you said, making sure that, you know, checking to make sure that you've got enough energy to do what you need to do and then also listening. I love the idea of listening to that prompting, listening to that little voice that says something like, you know, even as simple as you should give that person a call or, or something, you know, doesn't have to be huge or dramatic or anything like that. Is there anything else that you've done in your life that you can really associate back to, uh, I now realize how, how precious life is, and I've made this particular change? Um, most definitely. I have been faced with death twice in my life, mm-hmm. and I try to make each moment count. Mm-hmm. Um, and another thing that's important to me is the relationships that I have with people. Um, they are everything, and I cherish the people in my life. You know, we, we leave this earth, with our knowledge and our experience, and we also leave this earth with our relationships, the people, the um, what we have done to um, cherish and nourish relationships. Mm-hmm. We will still have that, and so I really um, appreciate that in my life. Little things are big things in my life. Um, That's huge. If I yeah. have my health. I'm feeling pretty lucky. If I'm healthy, things are great. And I don't take little things for granted. Um, and I I don't hold back anymore. And I'm a broken and raw person. I'm not this perfect person. I'm trying every day to um, make little things matter and make moments count. That's what I've tried to do. Um, you don't get faced with death wife and not be grateful for every day I have. Exactly. 
And I, I love the quote that you gave at the very beginning that said, I can do hard things. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I definitely think that, um, you know, probably that's a mantra that we should all wake up every day. And even if it's a beautiful sunny day and we've got our health and we've got everything, just remind ourselves that we can do hard things because the minute your feet touch the ground, you know, you, who knows what you're going to be facing for that day. Well, thank you so much, Becky. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day and, Give your mom and dad a big hug for me. Your dad is the most amazing hugger. I mean, he just, I will. you know, he, he is a, a great guy. And I know we didn't even have a chance to talk about everything that your family has done for Dornbeckers uh, and how you got involved in the uh, uh, Children's Hospital up at Oregon Health Science. And I know our little guy was up there, and, and I have some really wonderful memories of the nurses and, and people that made a difference, you know, in his life. And, and uh, we didn't even have a chance to talk about that, so I might have to have you back sometime. Well, so, we'd love uh, to. We'd love to. That's another great story. So Yeah, fabulous. All Thanks right, well, thank you so much, on. and ha- have a great day in spite of the rain that's supposed to be coming. <laughs> great. Thanks, Renee. All righty. Bye-bye. Oh, that was really, really great. I'm, I'm so appreciative of Becky sharing her story. And, you know, um, one of the bad things of, of being a more transit society is, uh, you know, in the olden days, people lived in a house their whole life and they got to know the people around them. And, and, um, but now, you know, we move so often. My gosh, my husband and I, I don't know whether being in the military for that short amount of time, we kind of got it in our blood, but we seem to move about every five years. And it's, it's really sad. You can move, um, just, uh, you know, 20 miles away and it's as if you've moved to a new continent and you don't see people that used to be so important in your life. And that's certainly what happened to us. We moved away and, and, uh, you know, we hadn't seen, Becky and her family for quite a long time, and then I started hearing through the grapevine everything that was going on, and uh, it's just uh, uh, amazing to watch how her family, how her family coped with everything. So I hope that you have all learned something today. Remember my quote: "There are only two ways to live your life. One is as though nothing is a miracle, and the other is though everything is a miracle." I hope you find some miracles in your life today, and we'll talk next week. Bye bye. Mm-hmm.